aren't you Paul is sitting so quietly and sitting at the front here these lovely scholars it's really good now what are you doing up there hiding away we're going to read uh, our verse from Revelation 1 4 to 6 uh, it's, um, these verses so let's begin as we read them together grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits before his throne and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth to him who loved us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has given us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father to him be glory and power forever and ever Amen we'll pray together so to continue praise with prayer we thank you Lord Jesus that you have so ordered our lives by your grace that we can present ourselves tonight and as we think of the stimulus and the challenge of this book of Revelation that we might truly be in the spirit today and being in the spirit to be receptive to know what you have to say to the church in our day throughout the world but to us in particular the unique times in which we are passing through <coughs> and the times when you give us a word with such clarity and conviction that we are compelled to reorder our lives re-evaluate our priorities and regain yet again a sense of real perspective so we come to you tonight we take time to pray for the world in which we live we hear constantly of the tragedies the conflicts throughout the world and in this land we've been blessed with peace and prosperity whatever the prevailing circumstances in contrast to many parts of the world we are truly blessed and in spirit too for quality relationships for integrity of purpose openness of heart and home and for some of us at least people with whom we can share with complete confidence and in all of these things Lord we are humbled and thankful we think of Ukraine tonight poised on potential conflict 
and we try to identify with those families but our plane is lost without any knowledge of its destiny Lord would you help us in a way praying for others who are detached and distant from us is relatively easy but to pray for one another where there is conflict and prejudice and misunderstanding sometimes is an altogether different thing would you help us then as we are together tonight in our homes with our families and all the constraints of health and finance and relationship we do pray for Neil as he goes to Senegal to Ziegenshaw and we thank you for Tenebu and Bethan and the work that they are doing may there be a real forging of future relationships and we thank you for Neil for the gifts of language and teaching that you've given to him we thank you too for bringing Pastor Julian to us we pray for the church at Kalaraj and we think of many of the countries in Eastern Europe that have gone through enormous trials and challenges and for a vibrant church that is emerging and for this weekend as we've had a window into many parts of the world we thank you would you prosper your work build your church increase our faith hope and love we pray and guide us now by your spirit for Jesus sake Amen we're going to read please from uh, Revelation 6 and uh, thank you for coming hanging in with this series it's uh, quite a challenge somebody said at our home group last Thursday night um, I've now got a headache well Revelation could do that for you it's not an easy easy book for us to engage with so not somewhere where we can be simply passive we need to think things through as best we can so Revelation 6 the seals I watched as the Lamb opened the first of the seven seals then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder, Come! I looked, and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow, and he was given a crown, and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. When the Lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come! Then another horse came out, a fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make men slay each other. To him was given a large sword. When the Lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come! I looked, and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. Then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying, 
quote, a quart of wheat for a day's wages, three quarts of barley for a day's wages, and do not damage the oil and the wine. What does that mean? When the Lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come! I looked, and there before me was a pale horse. Its rider was named Death, and Hades was following close behind him. They were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine, and plague, and by the wild beasts of the earth. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, How long, Sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Then each of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and brothers who were to be killed as they had been as they had been and was completed I watched as he opened the sixth seal there was a great earthquake the sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair the whole moon turned blood red and the stars in the sky fell to earth as late figs drop from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind. The skies receded like a scroll rolling up and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty and every slave and every free man hid in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. They called to the mountains and the rocks, and their call was, Fall on us, and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come. And who can stand? Who can endure it? Remember the echo of uh, Handel's Messiah. Who can endure the day of his coming? We're going into the sermon straight away. And uh, I want us to, the PowerPoint will come before you. just want to recap very briefly uh, on um, what we can see as six um, principles of interpretation that we've agreed on. They come in front of you as they unfold. The first... This is by way of trying to help us as we think about uh, Revelation. Because it is a bit tricky, as, as I'm sure you know. The first, we need to consider the features of ancient Jewish apocalyptic literature. Especially as we think about symbolism and poetry, which is to appeal to our imagination. This isn't so much to inform us, like some of the letters of Paul, it is to fire our imagination. That's the idea of the book of Revelation. Secondly, here's an interesting one, particularly perhaps some of us with our backgrounds as we've thought about people who've 
made predictions and all sorts of things. We need to consider the function of prophecy. What is its function? Is there prophecy today? Is it to provide comfort and challenge, hope and warning, rather than, as some people have said, specific predictions about dates and personalities? I have lived through a time when people used to say Khrushchev was the Antichrist. Um, so, and maybe you, equally, you may well have had people. I mean, if you lived through the 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 war, the war, for instance, Second World War, there were people who genuinely believed that Hitler was demonic. But if you put all your eggs in that basket, I think that wouldn't be helpful. Thirdly, we need to interpret Revelation symbolism and prophetic language which comes to us first of all within the first century as it was made we need to go there and then to bring it to the 21st century now I hope I'm not going to lose you start with the first century bring it to the 21st century if we start with the 21st century and take it back there that isn't very helpful we'll illustrate that in a moment fourthly we need to look for and this is a, this would be a good question uh, uh, that we could perhaps uh, discuss in a moment if we could time this fourth um, interpretive principle okay is we need to look for situations here we are today 2014 we need to look for situations and realities in our own day that are similar or analogous to where we are in other words we read the book of Revelation we say, well, is there something here that applies to us uniquely today, rather than future events which have plagued the church in the past and people have become thoroughly disillusioned. Our, if I can see the word, good Jehovah Witnesses have done that with predictions and so forth and indeed some evangelicals as well so, and, and, and these predictions have withered on the vine and people have become disillusioned so we need to look for situations and realities in our own day that are analogous to those depicted in the book of Revelation in terms of uh, symbols rather than look for literal future events and figures it's where we are now Fifthly, stay focused on the bigger picture. We've said that, the thematic issues, rather than disputed details. Who is the beast? The Antichrist. The Armageddon. And so forth. And again, some people have come to grief over these unhelpful predictions. And lastly, sixthly, this is what we must remember that the book of Revelation is to focus on not the Antichrist but the living Christ that is so important so in other words these are keys I want to use an illustration I have here um, this is the traditional key to the church traditionalists stand up no you don't have to but you know yeah Bruce Cameron was going to um, and the modern this is the key to the church this is just a couple of months old now 
If I come uh, to church with my traditional key, I'm not going to get in here. Even if I say, but you know, hold on a moment. This, do you realize, this tradition has stood the test of hundreds of years. Yeah, but it doesn't fit. It just doesn't fit. So I need the right key of it, you may say. Look, it's the key to the Baptist church. But you won't get in with this key. With that door. Or that door with this key. Now, Revelation is about keys. And, and, and we need the right keys for the right time for the right chapters as they unfold before us. I hope that's a, um, a bit of help. So, throughout our six studies, we have been, you may not be aware of it, uh, using the, what's called the parallelist interpretation. In other words, um, well, let's give the, the, the three others, the three main ones, there are lots more. The three main, in other words, let's use this again, this is, here's the key, the key to open the book, okay, of Revelation. Um, I'm suggesting that the best key is the parallel key. Don't look at me like that if you're confused, because in a moment you'll get there. Okay? Keys. Right. Um, there is what's called the preterist, preterist interpretation, which is taken from um, uh, the Latin word, um, past events. So in other words, Revelation is about the past. Let's learn the lessons from it. Well, that's fair enough, but it's not enough nor the historist uh, interpretation, history in advance. The problem with that is it becomes too rigid. You are locked in, like some of our Jehovah Witness friends, or indeed like some of our American evangelicals who are um, sort of pre-millennial as it's called. We don't get into too much of that now. And interpret the whole of the Bible through that and often come into difficulty. And then there's the futurist interpretation. That's perhaps the most popular um, among evangelicals. In other words, this book tells us a great deal about the end times. That's the key. Well, it does, but more. So what I'm suggesting we do, and I hope this is a help, that what we're doing is the parallel approach. So sometimes we go um, with the historical one, other times we go with the future one, and sometimes we go with the past. And we run with these, and this is the parallel interpretation. And I think that is the best one. Hope that shall help. So, our parallel key does this for us. It's the key that sees the total aid span. The total aid span from Christ first coming to his second coming. That's this parallel. And there are times that we run with the historic, sometimes we go with the future, sometimes we go with the present. I think that's the best way for the book to open before us and maybe avoid some of the pitfalls of our forefathers as they've looked at this book. I hope that's a, a bit of a help. So, let's come then to chapter 6 and 7. Uh, if you keep your Bibles open, uh, let's look at chapter 6 for a moment. We have uh, the seals, these 
uh, and they're about to be opened. And they give, if you like, a panoramic view of the future. But, it's a panoramic view of the future from the perspective of Christ and the Church. Okay? That's the perspective. A panoramic view of the future as it is given from Christ and the Church. I want to quote from this excellent book which many of you have bought. There are still some spare copies. Let me, if it says it much better than I can, I want to just read this and if you have the book with you and if you want to uh, have a copy there's still some spares here. So we're thinking now of um, chapter 6 and then I'm going to pose a question, we'll break it into groups. Le okay, let me pose the question first and put it at the back of your mind, okay? The question is this. Bless you. How do you interpret the 144,000? How do you interpret that? Some of you have got thoughts in it, okay? The 144,000 who are sealed believers, and the second question to that is, as best you can tell, are you one of them? Okay? Don't look like that. Go on, right? So that's the question. It's going, it'll, it'll come up as we write. Let's run through chapter 6 uh, very, very quickly um, and see what it has to say to us. Okay, so you've got um, uh, chapter 6 verse 2, the white horse and crown, which symbolizes conquest and victory. Now, how do you interpret this? What key would you use? I want to suggest to you that I believe that this is Jesus. This is the Christ, the first horse. And if you've got a view on that, okay? Commentators among evangelicals are divided uh, as to who it is. What's my reason for saying that? Well, look in, look in Revelation 19 for a moment. Okay? Keep the, this uh, rider in front of you, in your mind. Revelation 19 and 11. And what we have? The rider on the white horse. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse, whose rider is called Faithful and True, a reference to Jesus. With justice he judges and makes war. Does that fit him? His eyes are like blazing fire. And on his head are many crowns, our opening hymns. Crown him with many crowns. We make connections, don't we? Now, we don't have time to read the rest, but you see that this is the substance of Jesus. Okay? The white horse. Let's come to verse 4, come back to chapter 6. The red horse, symbolizing strife and warfare in the land. The war of the nations. This is physical warfare, not a spiritual thing. Then the black horse. Interesting this. The black horse and scales, Alan's story. You do a lot on scales, which is a good, good line for you. Um, and here's the interesting thing. How do you interpret this? Chapter 6, verse 5. It's a teaser, isn't it? 
Let me read it and see what, what would you think this is saying to us. When the Lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. I looked and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. Now listen to this. Then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a day's wages, and three quarts of barley for a day's wages, and do not damage the oil and the wine. Is, does that say anything to you? Quickly? Philip, you're nodding. No. Yes, raging inflation, perilous famine, and plenty. That's juxtaposed. Do you see that? So you're massive. Look at our world today. We heard these incredible figures this morning. And, and do, you, do you see what it's saying? So again, you have to try to think outside of, not just outside the box. Get out of the box altogether and, and use your imagination. Okay, um, the red horse. The, 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 the black horse that now in, uh, has famine and shortage but luxuries wine and oil that remain plentiful and you say life isn't fair when you look among the nations and then the fourth the pale horse literally a, a greenish grey the horse accompanied by, by death and Hades in its wake. You see that in verse 8. Death and decay. Now, I think we could just sort of stop there, but you can appreciate the difficulty that I have and you have when we try at least to say, not just skimming over the surface, but try to uh, understand what these things mean, what they meant then and what they mean to us uh, today. That's this parallel interpretation. Okay? Let's, I'm going to leave into, uh, could you put that question up, Becky? Yes, there it is. We're going to break up into a couple of groups in a moment. So I'm giving you plenty of, some of you are a bit like steam engines, you take time to build up and by the time you, we moved on. So would you just think and, and get ready very quickly. Let me try to, at, at least to some extent, influence some of your thinking about the 144,000. Would you turn with me so that we can, uh, to Matthew uh, 18. How do you deal with these numbers that keep recurring? Okay, turn to Matthew 18. I don't think that's, that reference is coming up. Um, we're looking at Matthew 18 and verse 21. Now, we're thinking about numbers. The fact that the context here is about forgiveness doesn't really matter. It's the numbers. What do you make of the 144,000? That's the question. So, Matthew 18, Jesus gives a parable. It's a scathing parable of the unmerciful servant. When you get to 21, the, if you like, the sermon's over, the parable's finished, Peter's troubled, deeply troubled. He's got a short fuse and he finds forgiveness difficult, as many of us do. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? What does he say? The perfect number. Revelation is full of seven. Seven everywhere. That's a good start, isn't it? I mean, you know, seven. Some people won't even forgive once and they say they love Jesus. Okay, so Peter says, that's, that's good. 
Look at the answer. Look at the play on words. Look at the numbers. What's behind this? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but seventy-seven times seventy, if you look at the footnote. Don't worry about the seven. Just keep on forgiving. I will, I, that's what I would say to uh, our friends who come round the door. It takes a lot of courage for our JW friends to come round the door. When did you last go knock at the door and talk about Jesus? It's scary, isn't it? Somebody's always watching Neighbours or something like that and some banal program and what a terrible thing to interrupt them. Um, so, uh, how do you interpret the 144 sealed believers? Have you got a view on that? And um, are you one of them? So we've got about two minutes. Is that okay? Time out. Two minutes. Lyle, you'll have to join us. You can't sit there. There's drums there. You come over. That's good. Two minutes. And I want you to ask somebody to give a bit of a response. How are we doing? Well done. Anybody wanting to volunteer? Ah. Ah, come on. Somebody put their hand up. No. Well, ask the question. I'm asking the question. Can you tell me, first of all, why they're all tribes from the Old Testament? Okay. Is that your answer? No, well, I'm going. I want. Uh, I, I'm not interested in that. That's a different key. Right, come on. Ah, oh, here we are, Chris. That's good. It's a big number. And yes. Uh, yes, what? I'm one of them. You are one of them. Okay, that's good. It's a big number. So, does it... Right. Uh, but only 144,000. It's only... Right. It's only... So, wait a minute then. Is it... It's just symbolic. Anybody think differently? Right, go on, John. It's just symbolic. Why break it down in 12,000? all of the tribes of Israel and we're not Israelites so we're not one of them but then following that you've got the great multitude of believers I would suggest we're in that one right but if we looked if we use a different key there are 12 12 12 tribes as we've read said from the Old Testament 12 apostles represent the new so you have two covenants of which this symbolises the old and the new and to use Chris's term it's a big number so um, anybody else wanting to shed a bit of light so, I, are you one of them then? One of the 144. Okay. What have you thought? Okay. And I, is the multitude... Uh, so, the multitude... Thank you. It just, just reminds me of what Jesus said to the Samaritan woman at the well this morning where he spoke about salvation is from the Jews yes if you talk about it but there's a time coming when you'll be worshipping not just in Jerusalem not just forever so maybe there's a link here between uh, the, the writer John linking in the history that the Jews had with God as his chosen people but not stopping there and continuing through to the great multitude that no one can number from every tribe and nation. No, did you hear all that? So I would say good uh, uh, that we're one of the later group, but not one of these. Okay, give it to Mr. Gibson, see what he's got to say. I've asked my question. 
Okay, thank you. That's good. Um, anybody else want to say? Right, we'll move on to our group and uh, we need to bring... Ah, well you need... Ah, you, you need to come down if you want to. I can't come up to you. Can you, can you do it so that everybody can hear? If you can't hear, wave your hand. In our group, we agreed that the number was to do with business, but also we agreed it was to do something else. And Samuel is going to tell us very loudly what that was. Which one? This one here. Right. You didn't know that. We can't hear you, Samuel. You need to speak up or tell us later. Can you move? Don't stitch him up, come on, I can't even get Mr. Gibson to say it, much less him. So. Are you... Right. I think so, that was being said here. Okay, if the group can assemble, please, and we'll move on, because the thing is, we mustn't do to, um, uh, with the rules that we've said, is not to get bogged down into detail. But the next time the Jehovah Witness um, knocks your door, don't just say, I'm a Baptist. Say, do you know what? I am one of the 144,000. I am saved by grace, sealed by the blood of the Lamb. What do you think about that? So we move on. Interesting, uh, this issue um, about uh, 144 who are sealed, 12 times 12, old, a new covenant, a thousand times over, giving a sense, as you rightly said, of completeness, hence the number, of completeness. In the same way, Peter, how many times shall I forgive my brother who sins against me? Seventy times seventy. It's symbolic of the seven as being complete. Keep forgiving all the time because you need to be forgiven all the time. Just a quick thing about the the sealing. It's an interesting term. It recalls the other acts of sealing which God has done to his people in the past. Think for example, the children of Israel under Pharaoh in Egypt. One of the first significant seals was, as you know, the blood on the doorpost. That was a seal. Without that seal, whether Jew or Egyptian, you were vulnerable and the angel of death would visit you. You see the point? And this idea of a seal um, is brought into the New Testament. Paul uses it in the Gentile world in Ephesus. Turn to the book of Ephesus, just to illustrate this, so that we can try to, uh, very quickly, the, the seal. Okay, so what are we thinking about? Ephesians 1, 13. See if you can get your Kindle buzzing and uh, okay Ephesians 1 13 we, we've used the word uh, seal in the, the Old Testament the, the, the obvious one the doorpost we're thinking now in the New Testament coming to faith by the Holy Spirit and so Ephesians 1 13 and you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, 
the gospel of your salvation having believed you were marked in him now the seal is internal not external not the seal on the outside with the blood the seal with inside by the Holy Spirit but the principle is the same hope that helps because you know that's why we need to keep uh, these sort of concepts before us and not get sidetracked so very quickly then um, we are forming a conclusion and uh, we're going to uh, 8 to 10 leaving out 7 for the sake of time um, otherwise we can be here all night and you don't want to do that um, so 8 to 10 just remember our parallel interpretation I think that's helpful now if you don't and you've got a different take on that that's okay but try to be consistent as you read this tricky book I'm going to begin with Amata No one quite was sure whether it was the 22nd or the 23rd of February. I suppose it depends if it was a leap year. An old man had been arrested in what today is the largest city in Turkey, Izmir. It was somewhere around the year AD 155. The crime seemed trivial enough involving a mere refusal to offer a little incense to the Roman Emperor. The imperial authorities were tolerant enough. A citizen of Rome was free to worship any number of gods, provided the state ceremonies were observed first. Live and let live. There were gods by the thousands in Rome. What was intolerable, however, was the claim that any deity might have a unique lordship at the exclusion of others. I think you can see where I'm coming from. And this is where Polycarp, the old man, fell foul of the authorities in Smyrna. The sheriff and his father, Nicias, tried to reason with him as they sat in the carriage. Now, what harm is there in saying Caesar is Lord? And then offering an incense, and so save yourself. But Polycarp, the aged Bishop of Smyrna, shook his head. It might have been his acquaintance with John, as he was now the bishop of one of those seven churches. We don't know. But the words that probably took him to the stadium were this. Revelation 2.10 Don't be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you. And you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful even to the point of death and I will give you a crown of life. And in the stadium, the Roman proconsul gave Polycarp every chance. Swear and I will release thee. Curse the Christ 
Polycarp's memorable words are this. Eighty-six years I have served him, and he hath done me no wrong. How then can I blaspheme my king who saved me? And Polycarp was burned to death that same day. And if you're in Turkey, you go on holiday, you can visit Izmir, the city where some of these Roman aqueducts and uh, amphitheaters still exist to this day. This idea of martyrdom is very strong as we get further into, into this book. So, to conclude, chapter 8 to 10, our parallel interpretation here we are seeing the same period. Do you remember we said before we were looking at that period of Christ's first coming to second coming from the perspective of Christ and the church. Now we are seeing that same period, but now from the perspective of the unbeliever. Entirely different perspective. In other words, to the unbelieving world. Uh, you don't need to turn to it, but the backdrop to this is and Ezekiel and these prophets, John borrows these visions as they were then uh, exiled in Babylon. Now they're under the heel of Rome and in all the ebb and flow of politics and so forth. Ezekiel, the word of the Lord came to him, Son of man, speak to your countrymen and say to them, when I bring the sword, forget one of the horsemen brought the sword, and say to them, when I bring the sword to the land and the people and he sees the sword coming against the land and blows the trumpet to warn the people then if anyone hears the trumpet but does not heed the warning the sword will come and take his life his blood will be upon his own head since he heard the sound of the trumpet but did not take warning now this is to an unbelieving world. One of the things that we said in our home group, which is a tricky thing to handle, is this, that, that the, 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 the Lord works on two lines, like parallel lines, salvation and judgment. That's a bit uncomfortable in our day, but that's how it is. And you get this here. This is the perspective from the unbelieving world. There's a, there's a quote that will come up from C.S. Lewis. It has been used a, a great deal. There it is. Just think about that as we round this off. God whispers in our pleasures, speaks in our consciences, but shouts in our pain. This is God's megaphone to rouse a death, indeed a dying world. So, let's go through chapter 8 so quickly. Chapter 8, 6 and 7. Here it is. And uh, we're thinking now of uh, the storm on the sea. Oh, sorry, the storm on, 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 the, on the land, first of all. Sorry, 8, 6 and 7. Now, I'll leave you to look this up. I'm not going to for the sake of time. But what do we have here? God's judgment. Here's an interesting one, 
and we can perhaps make an obvious connection in these last perhaps ten years chapter 8, 8 to 9 the storm of the sea I couldn't help but think of the tsunamis terrible and dreadful 20,000 people within minutes are wiped off, off altogether and the destruction is horrendous on a scale that would beggar belief storm at sea but it's reminiscent of course of the plagues in Egypt storms of pollution it's a great deal said about our ecology and rightly so look at eight, uh, chapter eight, 8, 10 and 11 in the times of Moses the Nile was a symbol of fertility and fruitfulness and God brings judgment on the Nile and then verse 12 the cosmic storm this definitely the key is futuristic it has to be when darkness swept through Egypt in Pharaoh's day there you have it then but what about our day and then coming to chapter 9 1 to 11 he's a broad brush strokes have you ever I bet uh, he was have and perhaps Jeff and others who've lived in uh, particularly in, in parts of Africa um, a swarm of locusts have you no I wouldn't have you but the nearest I could get was cycling home and, and cycling through a cloud of flying ants I don't know if you've ever they everywhere and you have to you have to stop something you just can't see Plus, but the thing is they are just nothing nothing when you think of this swarm of locusts because they not only devour the land but people the locusts in chapter 9 hurt not only the crops but the people and the message seems to be this in verse 4 that if we will not respond to the saving acts of God in Christ we are not sealed and as the people in, in Egypt were not protected so we are not we are vulnerable big time and then chapter 9 13 to 19 just to conclude war war is contrary to God's purpose nevertheless it can be used in God's design as a warning for unbelievers reminding them of the insecurity there is in our world and the security that we have in Christ Jesus the quote you see as Lewis again as he thinks he says war is a terrible thing but he says this how hard it is to turn our thoughts to God when everything is going well with us those are the storms now we, it would be fascinating for us to break into groups again we're not I know what time has gone but you see the point don't you that um, how do we make these connections and, and which of the which of the keys are you going to use and do they fit and be consistent as you think about um, this book chapter 10 is, is, is an interlude 
and it heightens the importance of the seventh trumpet that will come next week. But just look at this, and honestly this is the absolute last reference, John 10, 8-11. With this we close. The angel and the little scroll. John 10, verse 8. Then the voice that I heard from heaven spoke to me once more. This is the angel speaking to John recommissioning him if you like okay Revelation 10 verse 8 go take the scroll that lies open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land picture the angel of, of, of the land and sea such power verse 9 so I went to the angel and asked him to give me the little scroll. He said to me, take it and eat it. It will turn your stomach sour, but in your mouth it will be as sweet as honey. I took the little scroll from the angel's hand and I ate it. It tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach turned sour. Then I was told, you must prophesy against, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, languages, and kings. And it was a bitter, sweet commission. Some will believe, and some won't. Some won't. A bitter, sweet ministry. I suppose that's true for every Christian leader very difficult in spiritual terms sometimes to define what success really is and that's how we end our little um, visit to Revelation and we'll take it up next week and don't forget the keys be consistent otherwise they would fit and you get into trouble you'll be locked out to read the doxology and then we'll share in the grace to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy to the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages now and forevermore Amen and may we share in the grace the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen.